presenting your needs and your requests before the Lord, asking that he would do something about them. And today, at this point, to all that you can see, nothing has happened. And perhaps you're growing weary. Perhaps you're saying, you know what, why even bother? Why bother? Does God hear my prayers? So as we come to Luke chapter 18, we are going to hear the words of Christ to encourage us to persevere in prayer, to continue in prayer. And it is needful because, as I said, some may be in a long, difficult situation. And we, as disciples, as followers of Christ, need to be encouraged that God is faithful and to persevere in prayer. Now, as we get going in our text today, let me uh, bring forth or introduce you to a couple of interpretive issues that we need to address. Um, if we, because if we don't address them, we will end up with weird teaching. And we don't want to end up with weird teaching. Amen. So let me uh, address a couple of key interpretive issues that I think will be beneficial to us um, so when we go through this, we can come to a right understanding of what Jesus is talking about in this encouragement to persevere in prayer. And the first thing we should note in this um, parable of the persistent widow is that we cannot divorce this parable and Jesus' application from its connection with the preceding material. In other words, Jesus got, just got done in chapter 17 talking about his second coming. This prayer is connected to that event. So this prayer is dealing with prayer in the interim, prayer in between his first coming and his second coming. And we certainly see that in um, uh, verse 8 of chapter 17. Jesus says this, um, I'm sorry, in verse 22, I'm sorry, 1722, we see this. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. In other words, there will be this interim where you will not see the Son of Man, but you will desire to see him. And in that time, you are going to, um, it's going to be a time of difficulty, a time of struggle. So um, we see this prayer as occurring, the prayer that Jesus is talking about is occurring between that um, event. And also then we see in verse 8 of chapter um, 18, it says, um, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so this prayer is connected with that, that time. That's, it, it's connected to the second coming. So let's keep that in mind. This is not, I know that, that there's a chapter division, but there are no chapter divisions in the original text. So this Jesus hasn't changed subjects. He's just, he's still in the context of his second coming. The next thing we need to consider, and this is what we call a how much more argument. And we've talked about this in the past. It is a, um, or a, um, a greater than argument. In other words, um, Jesus uses this type of argument or this type of storytelling quite frequently. For instance, we hear him say, and very obviously, we hear him say things like this. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more your heavenly father. So he says, now, if your son came to you and asked for a fish, you would not give him a serpent. Likewise, if your son comes and asks for a loaf of bread, you would not give him a stone. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts um, to his children. This is a how much more argument. In other words, if, if this one thing is true, how much more would it be true of God? And we need to keep that in mind because we're going to come to the, the parable of the persistent widow. And it's easy. I have people come to me and they say, so this widow just basically bothered this judge to the point where he just gave in and gave this woman what she wanted. Is that what, the way we approach God? Do we approach God? Do we just bother him until he finally gets so fed up with us that he just gives us the thing? And you can see how somebody could get there because that's this is a how much more. If an unrighteous judge does that, how much more your heavenly father who loves you. All right. That's the direction. If, if we don't keep that in mind, if we don't have that interpretive guide in mind, we end up with this idea that God, we just need to pester God till he gets so sick of us. He just does something right. But that's not the, the biblical picture of God. So we keep this interpretive guide in mind, and I believe we'll come to a right understanding of what this is, uh, this is about. So finally, um, we need this. Man, we need this text. We need this text because we need to be encouraged. We need hope. We need hope to be faithful until the day of the Lord when he returns in glory. And we just need to persevere in that. And Jesus, I believe, gives his disciples that hope and that encouragement to pray and not lose heart. So let's look at our text. Let's follow along with me as we read our text today. And... Um, We'll get going. Listen to God's holy and inerrant word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will, he will, give, them, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this ends the reading of God's inerrant word. So we begin with this very purposeful, we, we know right at the beginning why Jesus tells this parable. The application is presented to us immediately. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Folks, it is... It is common to be discouraged in prayer. Especially when we are praying for something for a long period of time. 
and we see no action on the, on the part of heaven. It is easy to become discouraged. Jesus understands that discouragement in prayer will come, which is why he tells this parable that one ought to not be discouraged. And in this particular case, let's make sure we understand this very particular instance. It is in the case of an injustice. As we get into the parable, we're going to see that the content or the context of this prayer is for one of justice. That one is in the interim between his first coming and second coming, disciples are being treated unjustly, being mocked and ridiculed, treated poorly, property taken, those types of things, spoken ill about, lied about, slandered. And in that context, we continue to pray and we continue to present our needs before the Lord. You see, during his delay, his followers are prone to discouragement, just like in the days of Noah and Lot, which he um, he talked about earlier in, in the sermon we looked at last week. So just like in the days of Noah and Lot, Noah was mocked. He was a preacher of righteousness and nobody listened to him. Well, we might be mocked or isolated. And so he tells us a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We should note this word, how they ought to pray. In other words, this is not optional. Prayer is not an optional statement. You ought to be praying. Jesus prayed. The disciples prayed. Let's face it, if Jesus needs to pray, we need to pray. He set that forth as, as an example. The Bible over and over commands us to be praying people. And we ought to be praying. Prayer is not optional because it's easy when we cease praying, we begin to uh, focus our solutions in our own efforts and in our own strengths. But in prayer, we begin to rely upon the things of God. and We re- rely upon the strength of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord. And that we ought to be people who are praying always. Now let me just say a quick thing about always praying. I don't think that this has, carries the idea that we are praying 24-7. After all, what do you do when you sleep? I don't know, maybe you pray in your sleep, but do you always pray in your sleep? And there are times maybe you're just busy. The kids are running around like crazy and you might cry out, God help me, but then you're cleaning up a mess or things are hectic and work, your boss is yelling at you or something like that. Or you're just intent on doing something. I think the idea isn't that we are necessarily praying 24-7, but the idea is that we are praying again and again and again. And that we continually bring our requests before God. And so there are times where, like right now, I'm not praying. I'm I pray before I'm preaching and I can't do two things at once. So I'm preaching. I'm probably not praying too much. Maybe some of the gaps when I'm thinking about what to say next or when I notice my notes are out of line or something doesn't make sense. Like, gosh, this made sense a while back when I was when I was going over. This all made sense. Now it doesn't. I start praying then. But But we ought to always ought Prayer is not optional to be continually offering prayers 
to God to deal with the injustices that we are enduring. And the way he goes about this is he tells a parable. It's a very simple parable. There are two main characters. There is a judge. We call him the unrighteous judge. And um, he is given a description. And his description is that he neither fears God nor respects man. So in other words, the only one he cares about is himself. I don't fear God. And I don't respect men. So in other words, I don't care what you do. You cannot plead to me on behalf of anything. You can't say, for God's sake, do this. Well, I don't fear God. Well, for the sake of just human kindness, I don't fear man. All I care about is myself. If it doesn't benefit me, what do I care? What are you going to do to me? I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if you don't invite me to your parties. I don't care about anything. So this is a man who does not fear God, nor does he respect people. And it's interesting because even when he speaks to himself and there's this kind of soliloquy where he's just kind of talking to himself, he says, even though I don't fear God and I don't fear man. So we know that this is a man who is unrighteous. All he cares about is himself and what's beneficial to him. On the other side of things, we have this widow. Now, we understand that in the first century, widows were certainly social outcasts. They did not have... um, They were voiceless. They had few assets. Certainly, she probably does not have a bribe, which might get the judge's interest. She has... I would say she has nothing, but that's not true. She does have something. And what she has, she uses effectively. But she's a social outcast. So on the one hand, we have this judge who is high-ranking in society. He has no fear. You can't manipulate or turn him. All he cares about is self-interest. And we have this on the other side, a widow who is a social outcast, who is a nobody, who is voiceless and has no way, for the most part, to get justice. And she comes to the judge and says, give me justice. More likely than not, this has to do with the fact that somebody has taken her property that was left to her by her husband or somehow scammed her or ripped her off and she's trying to get back what is due her. She has been denied justice and she goes to the, to the judge saying, listen, I've been scammed. I've been ripped off. This person took what is rightfully mine. He took it by um, unjust means and I'm seeking that you would put it right. And the judge says, uh, no. I don't fear God. I don't fear man. I, don't, I have no interest in you. You are a nobody. You do not help me in my position one bit whatsoever. So no. See ya. Well, this woman, as we said, she doesn't have much. But she does have one thing. (laughs) She has persistence. And so wherever this judge goes, there is the woman. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. I... Don't want to read into the text too, too much, but we can illustrate a little bit. He goes to dinner. There she is. He goes to work. She's at the door of his work. Wherever he goes, there she is. Give me justice. Give me justice. And finally, this judge says, even though I don't fear God or man, basically, I need to shut her up. 
In fact, the word here, it's very interesting. It says, um, she keeps bothering me. I'm going to give, it, give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Literally, that is, she will not give me a black eye or a, or a blackened face. She will not, term of, I don't think she's planning on doing him physical harm. And he doesn't care about being shamed in front, in publicly because he doesn't fear God or men. He's just like, oh man, she's just beating me down. I got better things to do with my time than to hear this woman. So I'm going to give her justice. I'm going to give her what she wants. And then he says this, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Been a lot of, under, a lot of thoughts about what he means by that. Um, I think the best way to go with this is, and picking up Luke's, um, Luke's themes, here's what happens. The woman becomes the hero of the story, doesn't she? Remember, this woman who is an outcast, who is a nobody, becomes the hero of the story. And this fits Luke perfectly because Luke loves the outcast. Luke loves the downtrodden. He continually makes the downtrodden, the outcast, and the nobodies the heroes of the story. That happens over and over again in Luke. So once again, we have this persistent widow who is a nobody socially as the hero of the story. In other words, you disciples emulate this woman. Do what she does. She's the one who is modeling disciple-like prayer. Do what she does. So she becomes the model of faithfulness. She becomes the example of of the to the disciples. So you and I, if we are looking for a model of faithfulness in prayer, this woman is our example. Hear what the righteous judge says. He gives to her because of her persistence. So that's the parable. We have the judge, we have the woman. And then the Lord says this, And will not God give justice to an elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And this is where we get into that how much more argument, that how much more form of debate. In other words, it goes like this. If a human judge who does not fear God or man gives this persistent woman what she requests, how much more will God, who is just and who cares for his own, how much more will he give to those who are his? That's the argument. All of a sudden, that makes a lot of sense. If an unrighteous judge does this, how much more will a holy God who loves his people give them? See, Jesus' purpose is to encourage prayer during his prolonged absence. And it's important that we understand who God is. Because too often times we concoct an errant image of who God is when answer to prayer is delayed. Sometimes we begin to think that God is unrighteous, that God is stingy, that God is um, not good, that God is withholding something from us. We, we end up ascribing to God unrighteousness like this judge. The purpose of this parable is to say how much more. That may be the way an unrighteous judge works, but God is not like him. God is not like him at all. And so when you pray, and when you tarry in prayer, and when you long for answers, and when prayer seems to not be going anywhere, do not ascribe unrighteousness to God, because that's not who God is. Rather, God is 
good. He is gracious. He is merciful. Also, He is present. I want to look at this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, because I think it describes um, the person of God well. Chapter, Isaiah chapter 49, 15 um, says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. So here's, could a nursing mother ever forget her child? And of course we would say no. But then Isaiah says, even that could happen. But God says, Oh, but I don't forget you. I've inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Literally, I've tattooed you. You are tattooed on the palm of my hand. I know exactly who you are. This is who we need to keep in mind. God is gracious. He's just. We need to remember that God is more willing to hear our prayer than we are to pray. And so if you have grown weary in prayer, I pray, first of all, that we not ascribe unrighteous attributes to, a God, to our God. And I hope that this parable can serve as an encouragement that God is not like the unrighteous judge. So the first thing we need to remember about the application of this particular parable is that this is an uh, how much more um, argument. In other words, God is not like the judge. God is something completely distinct. He is totally unlike the judge. Whatever the judge is, God is the opposite of. But here's the other great thing. You are not like the meaningless individual in the parable either. You are not like a voiceless, unimportant social outcast. So we are encouraged to share in her persistence, but we should note that our position before our judge is completely different from hers. See, she was an insignificant nobody. But you have a different position between the judge of all. You have a completely different position before the Lord of all. Notice what he says. And will he not give justice to who? To his elect. If you are a child of God, if you have called upon the name of the Lord, if you are one who has heard the gospel and repented of your sins, you are God's chosen, his elect. Now, I'm not here to get into a debate right now about the doctrine of election, but we all agree that there is a doctrine of election. Election and predestination are in the Bible. They're substantial in the Bible, and we may have different views, but here's what I think we would all agree on, regardless of how one determines whether they are the elect, how they got there. All believers are God's elect. That's what he calls them. And will he not give justice to his elect? So I'd like to let you know if you've you've heard that Christ bore God's wrath for your sin on the cross and that he died bearing your sin and that he rose again in power um, to give you new life and that you have sinned against the holy God, that you've rebelled against him and not done as he has called you to do. You are separated from that God and the wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life, and he will, bring, he will give you eternal life if you will repent and call upon him. And if you repent and call upon his name, he will in no way cast you out, and you will become his child. You will be the elect, the chosen. And whom does God answer the prayer? Will he not give justice to his own child? Will he not give justice to the one who comes to him and is related to him by the blood of Christ and who has all things? You are his child if you are if you are a Christian. You are his child by covenant. That is, God has made a promise to you. The covenant was cut in the blood of Christ. And he loves you He chose you. You belong to him. And so, if there's an unrighteous judge who by persistence of this um, nobody woman gives her her request for justice, how much more God, who is holy, give to his own children? I know you get tired of praying. I know you're going, where is the answer to my prayer? I'm here to tell you that God is not unjust. God cares for his own people, and you are his child. And you belong to him. He has made a covenant with you. That's just good news by itself. And he gives justice. Will he not give justice to them um, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So now we have to ask this question about, well, what does that mean? He will give justice speedily. He will give justice quickly. The question is, when is he going to give justice? And will he delay long? And I, and I think about the, the, the saints who are... Um, revealed in the book of Revelation and, and, and they are crying out for the justice of God and they're saying, how long? The martyred saints are crying, how long? And, and I would submit to you that I think that's one of the major threads that runs all the way through the book of Revelation is answering that question, how long? Because we see it over, we see that theme repeated over and over again, how long, how long, how long? And then we get to chapter 19 and then we get to chapter 20 and 21 and we begin to see that God does exactly what God said he would do. They ask how long, and he says, you're just going to have to wait a little while longer. But I will accomplish my purposes. I will accomplish my plans, and I will vindicate you. You who have been unrighteously accused, you who have been killed unjustly, I will vindicate you. You will be seen as the righteous ones, and um, those who think they have done good will actually be judged. And so the fullness of his answer comes when he comes in glory. I wish I could say he's going to answer your prayer today. I just know that when he comes in glory, he will vindicate his people. And all the injustice, all of the slander, all of the gossip, all of the things that have been said about you over and over and over again, you will be vindicated. Stay righteous. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to you. Trust him Rely upon him. Be strengthened in him. Jesus is saying, keep praying. Don't give up. Maybe justice comes in this lifetime. I pray that it does. I pray that it comes like now. That you don't have to suffer another day of lies and gossip. I pray that. 
But if it doesn't, let's continue to seek the Lord who is just. He is good. And how much more will He give to you, His child? First of all, you're His child. What a gracious privilege that is. And so remember, this parable is set in the context of His second coming. And so the idea here is when I come, and I am coming, and when I do, I will set straight all of the injustice that has been inflicted against you. So keep being persistent. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. And again, He will come quickly. Folks, I realize that His delay can challenge our resolve. And it's easy to, it's just so easy to say, well, it's just been so long. We haven't seen the Lord show up for so long. When's He coming? When's He coming? The latest prediction is it's April 23rd, but they're wrong. It might be earlier. <laughs> when we were in a Virgin Islands, the pastor would always say, <clears throat> um, be blessed, we'll see you next Sunday, if there is a next Sunday. I always thought that was good. But should he delay? We ask the question, how long? And what do you mean by quickly? All I can say is Peter warns us not to judge God um, as you would a man. In his first coming, Jesus bore injustice so we do not receive what we deserve. And when he comes again, he will come with justice, meeting out the rewards that we did not earn. Jesus seems to imply that there will be a long delay between his first coming and his second coming. And we see that in chapter 17. Verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. How many have you said, man, I'm just longing for the return of Christ. When's He coming? We've probably all said that. That's what He says. There will come days. You will long for the days of the Son of Man and you will not see them. In the interim, be persistent and faithful in prayer and keep seeking your heavenly Father who loves you and has called you His own. And when he comes again, he will come with justice. And he will mete out the rewards that you did not earn because he bore the injustice that you deserved. And this final statement that he says here, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So when we look at that phrase in the context of this parable and in the context of his talking about his second coming, uh, the idea here is when he comes, will he find his people Faithful in prayer. Faithful, diligently seeking out their Heavenly Father. Not taking vengeance into their own hands. Not seeking to do things in their own abilities and power, but seeking the wisdom of God. So until then, we are to be faithful in prayer. Basically, when He returns with justice, will you be found faithfully trusting Him? I think that's the question. Or will you just give up and say, I know many people say, well, I prayed for such and such and it didn't happen and so I don't believe in God anymore. That's the question. When He comes, will He find you faithfully trusting? And you say, but Lord, it's been long prayer, long time I'm facing this. Will you be faithfully trusting your Heavenly Father who loves you, called you, and made you His child? Will you be continually trusting Him? Will He find faith on the earth? 
in your trials and in your despair, while you're longing for vindication, will you be faithfully praying and not growing discouraged? This is one reason why we need one another also. Because when I see you struggling and growing weary, I need to step up and step in and pray. And when you see me struggling and saying, I'm getting so discouraged, I just see no end in sight of this. And I need your strength. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need to hear God's word from you. And you need to hear it from me. This is where the church body gathers together and says, brother, sister, man, I see your knees growing weak and your arms drooping and your shoulders sagging, your head hanging, hanging down. What's up? And you say, man, I'm just facing this and just let me let's pray with together. Let me encourage you in God's word. Let me build you up in the encouragement of the Lord and let me strengthen you. Stand strong, brother. Stand strong, sister. Keep going. One of the reasons why we gather together on a Sunday morning at this particular location so that we would hear the word of God, that we'd pray God's word and sing sing songs that talk about our faith. So when he returns, will he find his people faithfully trusting him, not seeking vengeance, but rather knowing that all those things belong to God and our Heavenly Father will vindicate as he promised to do. I think that's the idea behind this prayer. And so I'll conclude with this. We are to be people who continue and are to be persistent in prayer. I think that is obvious from this passage of text. We do not need to be brilliant exegetes or biblical scholars to get that. We need to be continue, continual and persistent in our prayer. Second, you need to remember that God is good. God is not like the unrighteous judge, nor does God lack power or knowledge. God knows about your the injustice you are facing. He also is not um, powerless to do anything about it. Do not ask me why then does he delay? Why does he tarry? Why does he not answer? That is something that God knows and I don't. I do know that you will be conformed to the image of Christ in that. I do know that. So God is good. Don't let his delay or his apparent inaction lead you to ascribe to God unrighteousness. But rather stand firm in what the Bible says about who God is. And second, third thing, this, if you are in Christ, you belong to him. If you are in Christ, you belong to him. You are his chosen. You are his elect. He has called you. He has made you his own. He is your heavenly father. You are his child and relish and live in that glorious truth. What a great truth that is. That should help us endure. Wait a second. I belong we sing a song once in a while. I belong to a mighty God. I belong to a mighty God. I am His. He is mine. He is my God and I am His child. What great truth that is. Revel in that. Bask in that. Tell that to yourself. Read it in God's Word. Finally, when He comes in glory, He will bring justice and He will bring vindication. You will be, you will be vindicated. All of the lies will be, t- be revealed for what they are. And you will be vindicated. And on that day, you will rejoice and give glory forever and ever to the God who made you his own. Let's stand and let's pray.